Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. And welcome for a new series of episodes with just Kusam and I. We are indeed starting a new topic, counterparty risk management. And this is the first piece of it. In the episode of today, expect to learn what is counterparty risk, why it is important to have a proper counterparty risk management strategy in place, what are the different sources and origins of such risk, and much more. This is a new, very interesting series for us. And we again learned a lot documenting ourselves and making the whole research. And of course, recording it. We really hope you will enjoy the episode as much as we did working on it. If that is the case, why not considering leaving us a review? Reviews are the best way to help podcasters since the algorithm of the different platforms then push forward the best rated podcast. On top of that, it makes us sound very happy, myself as well, and it is completely free. With all that being said, please welcome Hosam and I. So Gil, in the last episode, we were talking about supply chain financing, right? Yes. Um, so it was around third parties stepping in and buying invoices, essentially, mm -hmm. so that um, buyers and sellers can get paid earlier or later, right? Yeah. And in that time, you talked about credit ratings. And um, yes. we, we touched on it very briefly, but let's go into a bit more detail. So what is that whole sphere of credit ratings and how does it relate to counterparty risk management? Absolutely. And uh, this is the right category indeed. If we want to understand a bit more about credit rating, you named it. Counterparty risk management is the thing to tackle. So let's start again with simply defining what counterparty risk is. And it can be seen as a simple question, actually. What happens in case the counterparty I am contracting with doesn't fulfill its obligations like stated in the contracts. Okay. So can you give me an example here? What about my cafe? Yeah, I think it's been a while that we didn't uh, talk about it. So let's do that. Let's say Hussam's Cafe became a multinational by now, right? Since we are talking about it, it's almost a year actually and exponential growth, amazing success. So you now have big companies as clients as well. Serving just basic individuals like me um, was a bit boring for you. So you now contract with big companies that order like hundreds of coffees and like grains for the machines, but also ad hoc events and well, you just sell them. So they pass orders for several thousand euros each time, but do not pay you instantly as an individual will do in a cafe, let's say. So more like after 60 days. If one day one of those companies cannot pay you, uh, it doesn't have enough cash or it has too much debt, it needs to repay and you're not the priority on the list to be repaid or it's going bankrupt, as simple as that, you will likely never see the color of your cash, as we say in French. And therefore, you make a direct loss because you produced and delivered the coffee, but didn't pay for it. Doesn't sound like very good business for me. No. Indeed. Um, and it basically means the risk of a financial loss arising from a counterparty to a financial contract that does not fulfill its obligations 
under the term of the contract. That was a bit for the technical definition. And it sounds like there's some legal implications there, surely, right? Yeah, I think it's part of it for sure. It's okay. So what would be the sources of that risk exactly? So um, you just mentioned that could be associated with credit risk. Yeah. Um, what other risks can you look out for and, and protect against? Yeah, so credit risk, that's indeed what we just described. And we also do a little dive in in the supply chain finance episode. So if you'd like to refer to it and get to know more, that's the right place to. But there are also other sources of counterparty risk, of course. So we could name, for instance, the market risk, which means a change in market conditions. For instance, interest rates, a fixed rate, or even the price of the underlying commodity, for instance making all of a sudden the price of the product much higher and potentially not affordable anymore for the entity that is meant to pay it. Another one, less relatable for the Hussam's Cafe example, um, but that is price volatility. Certain financial products and instruments are linked to underlying assets. And if the underlying asset goes too way up or down, depending on the kind of financial instrument we are talking about, but let's not get into too much detail here, so does the financial product, and therefore, the person that is meant to pay can have an increased risk of default. Yes, that makes sense. So either the market is anyway volatile, right? Like yes. interest rates are like they are right now in, in early 2023, all over the place. And um, your FX rates are moving all around places, especially if you're going across different currency zones, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. And then just generally prices are going up and down. Like in general, that could be commodities as well as, as, uh, Absolutely. as instruments, right? So for a Hussam's Cafe, it could be the price of coffee beans and 100%. that are going up and down, oil prices, making mm -hmm. transport more or less expensive, et cetera, right? So what else? So you've got credit risk or sorry, yeah, credit risk, market yep, risk, price volatility, what else? The last one I would like to touch upon is operational risk. And this one simply refers and translates into the risk of errors. So it can be human, of course, uh, or failures in processing. You know, machines are much more reliable than humans, but yet sometimes they fail or they do not process correctly and so on. So it doesn't obviously mean default on payment, even though it can, but potentially can lead to a late payment, for instance, or not in full. And then you have to wait another week or another month to get paid in, paid in full and so on. So counterparty risk also means that like, if there is an operational risk within your payment chain, this can translate into not getting paid on time, but you did your forecasting accordingly and your payables accordingly. And then there is this whole machine that is affected by it. Okay. I think I'm clear, but uh, we're using a lot of jargon. I think we're, Indeed. we're quite deep into corporate treasure at this stage, but I still, I mean, our, our audience is all about corporate treasure one-on-one, right? So yes. take it a few steps back for us, Kim. Like, yes. why is court counterparty risk important overall? And it's, it's, a, it's a big phrase, counterparty risk. Sounds like something very formal and very official, right? Counterparty mm -hmm. risk management. But what, like, break it down more simply and explain why it's important for me. Yes, absolutely. So in order to keep your business going, you need to make money, right? This yeah, of course. is rather straightforward. Now, and this can become tri quite tricky uh, if your customers won't or cannot pay you anymore, right? And if a large enough number of them don't, 
then you start actually losing money and you will eventually become the one that cannot pay its suppliers because you do not get money from the people that are meant to pay you. Mm -hmm. So obviously you want to avoid that. Um, and here it happens sometimes, Hussam, the Hussam's Cafe example is not the, the best in that case because your customers pay you directly, right? You go to a cafe, you pay for your coffee on spot. But there are a lot of industries where getting your money will happen in 30, 60, 90 days. Or there are a lot of financial instruments that needs to be repaid after a certain time. We talked about futures, options, forwards when we talked about financial risk management, right? Mm. There are a lot of financial instruments and a lot of industries where payments are due mm. by in the future. And counterparty risk management allows financial institutions and the companies to minimize or mitigate the risk of loss due to the failure of the counterparties. That's how I would explain the importance and criticalness of counterparty yeah. risk management. Does it make sense? I think so. Well, let, let's let's pull in another example, Gail. So I think indeed the, the cafe example doesn't work so well here because cafe is B2C, right? Yes. It's business to consumer to customers. Um, whereas I think a lot of these concepts sometimes become B2B, right? They're business to business. Mm -hmm. Because indeed, uh, most consumer industries would involve payment almost there and then, right? Yes. So if you're a business offering a service to another business, um, say you're a marketing agency, for example. Yep. Mm -hmm. So say that yeah, you're that a company that makes podcasts for other companies. Mm -hmm. Right? Because interesting. So in that scenario, you would, you're providing a service to, let's say you make a podcast for a bank. And you're saying, mm -hmm. okay, we're going to make a podcast for you. Um, but the bank goes, okay, but I'm only going to pay you. Uh, I'm based in the US, you're based in Europe. And mm -hmm. I'm going to pay you, you know, after you give me the podcast. After yep. you've published four episodes, I'll pay you four episodes. Mm -hmm. Right? In that scenario, if it's a big bank, I can probably trust that it's going to get paid. But if it's a small company, like, a, you know, Sally's Teddy Bears, Maybe they can't pay me sometimes and whatnot. I need to manage that risk, I guess. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So how does a company do that? How do you, okay, I think I understand what counterparty risk is. It's basically just being mindful of the risk of not getting paid due to external events or the company itself going bankrupt that's meant to pay you. How do you actually manage that? What can I do about that as a, as a podcast company? So that is super interesting as an example, Usam. And I would like to dig a little bit into that. You mentioned it. The big bank is going to pay you after you have published and released four episodes, right? Mm. This happens in quite a lot of time. I mean, or at least a month. So you put in all the efforts, you record the podcast, like edit the audio, create the show notes, create the social media posts. Pay all my contractors early. Exactly. Um, pay for all my subscriptions to my expensive software. Exactly. That's quite a heavy work and quite an investment. But you're contracting with the bank. The likelihood that it defaults on the payment is very, very low. So it's a juicy contract. You'll take it. If you, I don't remember the name exactly of uh, Teddy Bear. Sally's Teddy Bears. Sally's Teddy Bears. Here, it's, I mean, it's likely that they will pay you 
on time, even if it's after a month of publishing podcasts and so on, that you have absolutely no certainty about that. So you will adjust your strategy depending on the counterparty you are dealing with, obviously. The bank will pay you, that's certain, so you will be more flexible on the payment terms. The small company, a little bit less, and that's already moving forward. That's how you can mitigate that risk or like analyze. Now, an effective way to manage counterparty risk starts with assessing the credit worthiness of counterparties and monitoring their financial performance. In the end, it all comes down to this. The bank has a good financial performance, very likely, and will comply with its financial obligations. So it has a good credit rating, sort of. Another impact and important aspect uh, is to then take in steps to mitigate potential losses in the event of counterparties' failure. <laughs> 